0: The Bible says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkest darkness and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice uh, they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast Touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape, if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven." "...whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. Verse 29, For our God is a consuming fire. The title of the Bible study this evening is this, Jesus' kingdom is better than Moses' kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is better than Moses' kingdom. And these two kingdoms are represented by two mountains. We're going to look in just a few minutes over in Exodus chapter 19 and see... That um, we we have read at the beginning of the uh, scripture reading this evening, we have read about Mount Sinai, and so the sermon this evening, Bible study this evening, is a comparison of Mount Sinai on Earth, on the Arabic Peninsula here on here in in, in this world, compared to Mount Zion in heaven, and so we're going to look at these two kingdoms represented by these two mountains this evening. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a chance to open your word and study it. One of my favorite, favorite things to do. And Lord, I think those here this evening feel the exact same way. So Lord, as we open it and do our best to rightly divide it, we pray that you would meet with us. And Lord, uh, grant understanding to everyone here. Help us to be able to pay attention. And then Lord, not only understanding, but utterance. May we go forth and utter the things that we've heard because they've changed our hearts. And so, Lord, you be the teacher this evening. Holy Spirit of God, confirm in the hearts of those here which you confirmed in my heart as we studied this together. And, Lord, we pray that all of this would bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, so let's back up and get some perspective on what we're covering here in this Bible story. First of all, some uh, perspective about the book of Hebrews. We began way, way back... I guess a year and a half ago with Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. And we've made it all the way here to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 18 down through the end of the chapter. And as we went through the beginning chapters of Hebrews, what we found is that the author of Hebrews is proclaiming that Jesus is flat better than every shadow or representation of the uh, Jewish Uh, religion, Judaism, Jesus is just better than every one of those things. He's better than the priests he's better than the tabernacle, Uh, he's better than the angels, he's better than the prophets, he's better than Moses, Uh, anything that they, they could possibly pull out and sensationalize or worship about the Jewish religion, the point was being made to the Hebrews or to the Israelites here in the church age that, listen, all of those things were types. And all of those things were shadows that were pointing to... Jesus. Now that Jesus has come and He's lived and He's died and He's risen again and He's ascended to heaven, we can lay the shadows to rest and we can worship Jesus. Jesus is the one to be worshiped, not A dead religion. I almost entitled the Bible study tonight, Jesus' religion is better than Moses' religion. Uh, But Moses' religion was God's religion, and so I wanted to be careful about that. But there was a kingdom that was built upon the person of Moses, and that was just a shadow of Jesus. Moses was just a type of Jesus. In the Old Testament. Then we look at Hebrews chapter 12, where we are currently. And we've made it through verse number 17. Last week, we finished studying up through verse 17. And what was the first 17 verses of Hebrews chapter 12 about? It was about two things. It was about running your race. God gives every Christian a race To run, And he's not asking you to compare yourself with another brother or sister in the Lord. He wants you to run your race. Verse 1, 2, and 3 tells us we're to run it with patience. We're to lay aside the weights and the sins that doth so easily beset us. And then we're to look at Jesus, who's our pattern. He's the example. We're to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before Him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, just like Jesus was given a race, and he ran his race, we're called to run our race. And we fix our eyes on the finish line, and Jesus Christ standing at the finish line, and we lay aside the weights, we lay aside the distractions, we lay aside the sin, and we sprint toward that finish line. Sometimes we run, sometimes we walk, sometimes we stand and take a breather, but ultimately we march toward the finish line. And then verse 4, or rather verse 5, transitions out of running your race to, hey, when you don't run your race, God is going to punish you. God is going to punish you. Sunday evening we went back, uh, we're going through First John on Sunday evening, and we looked at the sin unto death and the sin not unto death, and we said that the sin unto death ultimately is when you have so stomped on God's grace that He says, we're done. And He takes your earthly life. Because a Christian will not heed to that correction of God. And so verse 4 through 17, of or rather verse 5 through 17 of Hebrews chapter 12 lays out for us the punishment that God gives to His children. One verse in there talks about being sons and not bastards. And a bastard is someone by definition who has a a mother... But maybe not a father. They're raised fatherless. They were born out of wedlock. And they're born fatherless. Now, if that applies to you this evening, I'm not throwing a slur your direction. I'm using a Bible word uh, that's here. But but please understand that the role of having a father that is active in your life, a good father that is active in your life, when you step out of bounds, he punishes you. He punishes you. And God... He punishes us when we step out of bounds. How do we respond to that punishment? Now, that brings us to verse 18, down through the end of the chapter. Look at verse number 29 with me. And again, remember, the recurring theme here is run your race, and when you step out of line, God will punish you to get you back in line. He'll punish you graciously, but he'll punish you. Look at verse 29. We see a quote from the Old Testament. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Hey, listen, He's going to be gracious, but you step out of bounds and God is a consuming fire that will correct you. And so, verse 18 through 29 is going to talk about the Old Old Testament method of punishment and versus the New Testament method of punishment. Are we all together here? Jesus is better than all of the Old Testament. And uh, uh, chapter 12 brings us to a point where it talks about how God corrects those that He loves. And then verse 18 through 29 is going to lay out for us the Old Testament way versus the the New Testament way and so Jesus kingdom is better than Moses kingdom verse 18 look there with me at verse number 18 and let's read down through verse number 21 the Bible says for ye are not come unto the mount again speaking of Sinai we'll look at this in the Old Testament in just a moment you're not coming to the mount that might be touched uh, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, uh, which voice they uh, they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they uh, uh, could not endure that which was commanded, and as much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now, if you don't know the backstory here, those verses seem very confusing. So, uh, let me, uh, just show you here that this is a comparison of Sinai and Sion. Now, Mount Sinai is on earth and Mount Sion is in heaven. We'll get to Sion on a moment. Now, what I'm going to do in the Bible study this evening is I'm going to lay out for you several different comparisons between Sinai, which is the Old Testament, and Sion, which is represented in the New Testament, okay? So the first comparison I want to give you this evening is earth versus heaven. Earth versus heaven. We'll get to Sion and heaven in a moment. Turn with me over to Exodus chapter number 19. Exodus chapter number 19 and look with me at verse number 10. Now, as you're finding your way there, a quick, uh, uh histo- so let, me, let me give you some historical context, alright? The Israelites were in captivity there in, um, uh, Egypt and Moses comes along and walks into Pharaoh's court and says, let my people go. And uh, after a series of ten plagues, God um, uh, Pharaoh finally lets them go. They march through uh, the Red Sea and, uh, on dry ground, where the Egyptian army is buried and killed by the water, and then they go through. A, 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 an area where there's palm trees, and then you have the bitter waters of Mara, they march up a little bit further, they complain about being thirsty, Moses takes a rod, he strikes a flint rock, and water pours out in millions of gallons that uh, helps take care of them, and then they march a little bit further, and they come to the base of Mount Sinai. Now, the Mount Sinai is a significant, significant mountain in Israel's history. Another name for Mount Sinai is Mount Horeb. That's another name for the mount there. And you find this throughout scripture. In fact, Moses would get God's law here. The Ten Commandments would be given to him there, as well as a whole lot of other laws. And later, when Elijah was running from Queen Jezebel, and he was afraid of Queen Jezebel, God would bring him back to this very mount, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, where he would be restored. It is my strong opinion after studying the life of Paul that God took Paul on the backside of the desert and prepared him and gave him a knowledge of the doctrine of salvation. I believe that God took Paul back to this very mount to give him our understanding of the book of Romans and the doctrines of salvation. So Mount Sinai plays a significant role and biblical history there's a video that you can find on youtube where someone believes they have found this very mount and what is so uh, convincing there's many things about the video that make it convincing but one of the thing that is that con- that is convincing is that the top of these mountains are darkened as though they've been set on fire and when you flip the stones over on the top of the mount they are the color of the rest of the rocks around it's as though a fire ascended on these so uh, israel comes up there and god descends down on top of mount sinai in the form of fire and a storm and speaks to israel and the mount quakes and for the israelites it's too much for them to handle. They're frightened by it. In fact, even Moses is frightened by it. And so the leaders of Israel come to Moses and they say, we can't take this. This is too scary for us. You talk to God and just tell us what He says, and we will obey the Lord. So let's look at Exodus chapter 19, and let's get a little bit of the idea here. Look down at verse number 10 with me of Exodus chapter 19. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against, against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set uh, uh, bounds... Unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up uh, uh, into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches touches the mount shall be surely put to death. So, the mount is going to be the place God comes down on top of. And they're not to touch the mount, because that mount represents holiness, and they're not worthy of it. Alright, verse 13, There shall not be in hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned, or shot through. There's that dart referenced in, in, in the book of Hebrews chapter and 12 whether it be beast or man it shall not live when the trumpet soundeth long they shall come up to the mount and Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes and he said unto the people be ready against the third day come not uh, at your wives uh, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were there were thunder and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. So God, I'm um, reading here. God comes down, and he's going to meet directly with his people. As close to a face to face encounter, that almighty, glorious God. God would ever have with His people. All right, let's keep reading. Look at verse eighteen. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, this is most likely an angel in the heavens sounding a trumpet. Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice and uh, the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount and Moses went up and the Lord said unto Moses go down charge the people lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze and many of them perish and let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves lest the Lord break uh, uh, forth upon them and Moses said unto the Lord the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for thou chargest us saying set bounds about The Mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up thou and Aaron with thee, but let not the priest and the people break through to come up unto the Mount, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. And you can read on in chapter number 26 later, and you'll see that the people's request is Moses, you go on up for us. This is too much for us. So Mount Sinai is represented on earth. Turn back to Hebrews chapter twelve. Hold your place in Exodus. We'll be back there here in a few minutes. Uh, look back at verse uh, number Hebrews chapter twelve, look at verse number twenty two. Now notice we are comparing Mount comparing Mount Sinai. That would represent earth or Moses' kingdom with uh, Jesus' kingdom. Look at verse number twenty two. The Bible says, but ye are come unto Mount Sion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and unto an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Uh, This Mount Sion is not located anywhere on earth. This Mount Sion is located in heaven. Turn over to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, and look with me at verse number one. Revelation chapter 14. Here we are uh, in. Uh, uh, we're getting the view from heaven. John the Revelator, uh, uh, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, the island of Patmos. Uh, Left there to die, God catches him up in a vision and uh, gives him the vision of the book of Revelation, which he pens down. And so John, in in chapter 14, is in heaven looking at uh, quite a sight here. And we see that there is a mount in this heaven. Look at verse 1. And I, John, looked, and lo, a lamb, that's Jesus, stood on the Mount Sion. That's the same mount referenced in our text back in Hebrews 12. And with him in hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, these hundred and forty-four thousand uh, uh, folks are Jews. Look at verse 2. And I heard a voice from heaven, so we know that this is heaven, as the voice of many waters. And as the voice of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. We know the four beasts are located in heaven. And the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. So there's no question, based on the geographical clues in Revelation 14, that this Mount Sion is in heaven. And we know that, uh, that Abraham would search for a city whose builder and maker, uh, was God in another kingdom. Uh, look back at Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verse number 10. We're gonna look at verse 10 and then we're gonna look at verse number 16. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 10 says, For he, speaking of Abraham, looked for a city which which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Now, remember that word city. We looked at Mount Sion. In a moment, when we go back to Hebrews 12, notice that word city. Look down at verse number 16. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Now, go back to Hebrews chapter 12 with me and look uh, back at verse number 22. Verse number 22. But ye are come unto Mount Sion. Now look at the other descriptors here. And unto the city of the living God. This is the same city that Abraham was looking for. The heavenly Jerusalem. We know that one day a new heaven and a new earth will descend and replace this one. And that new heaven, a new earth, there is a description of a new Jerusalem, a heavenly Jerusalem. Look here. And to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church... Of the firstborn, that's us, that are saved, which are written in heaven. That's speaking of the Lamb's book of life. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Speaking to those who have been justified. So again, we are comparing Moses' kingdom, represented by Mount Sinai, here on planet Earth, with Jesus' kingdom, represented by Mount Zion. In heaven. Everybody with me so far? Everybody good? Not at me if you understand? Or if you're just awake. Amen? Alright, let's look at the next comparison here. Notice this is Moses versus Jesus. Moses versus Jesus. Look back at verse number 21 all right it says and so terrible was the sight and that word terrible is not the way we use the word terrible right you pull up on a traffic accident where you know there's uh, bodies on the road and uh, ambulances everywhere you say oh man i saw an accident it was terrible it, it, we don't mean the bible doesn't mean the word terrible in that sense it just means Awesome or all, I was awestruck. It was, it was more than I could emotionally take in. And that term could be used good or bad. And so terrible or over, emotionally overwhelming was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Moses' emotional sensory was on overload. Okay. So Mount Sinai represented by Moses. Look at verse number 24. Mount Sion is represented by Jesus and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant into the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than than that of Abel we'll we'll dissect the rest of verse 24 in a moment but i want you to notice that jesus's kingdom is represented by mount Sion. moses quote-unquote kingdom, was represented by Mount Sinai on earth, all right? And so the beginning of this is just sort of meant to, uh, to lay the groundwork and give you the history. Now we're going to get into some teaching on how the, the kingdom of Sion is much greater than the kingdom of Sinai. And I think we'll see some things that are both interesting and applicable here as we move along. Notice, with Mount Sinai, we have the blood of animals, But with Mount Sion, we have the blood of Jesus. The blood of animals versus the blood of Jesus. Turn back with me to Exodus chapter 24. We were in Exodus chapter 19, and uh, turn over to Exodus chapter 24. Fascinatingly enough, in this video, uh, where they they show the physical Sinai, Sinai, or what they believe to be the Mount Sinai, off to the side of this mount, there are troughs that still exist, that were built by whoever was there. That were meant to walk animals down through a um, uh, through a portal or through an area to keep them uh, in 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 line uh, to a place where there is an altar where these animals would have been sacrificed. Look at Exodus chapter twenty-four and look at verse number three. Okay, so we're still here at the base of Mount Sinai in our story. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, okay? So, uh, Moses ascended up into the mountain with Aaron, and uh, the Lord gave him some instruction, and he came back down. Part of that instruction was the Ten Commandments, okay? He came back down, and now he's imparting to uh, the, the Israelites what God told him, alright? Verse 3, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord had said, uh, hath said will we do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and building an altar unto the hill and twelve pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Alright, we're gonna draw a couple of different things out of this text here. But, but pay attention to the blood that was spilled here as we read. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood. And put it in basins. And half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord hath said will we do uh, and be obedient. And so the blood was sprinkled on the people. The blood was sprinkled on the altar. But blood was spilled there on Sinai. But blood of animals was spilled. All right, turn back over to Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll see that the blood of animals was spilled at Mount Sinai, but the blood of Jesus was spilled for Mount Zion. Look at verse number 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, look here, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Verse 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. Now what speaketh? The blood of Jesus speaketh. Alright, look back at verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. I had to read this several times to get this. And so let me point out to you what, what, uh, what, uh, what I observed out of this text. And to the blood of sprinkling. Whose blood is sprinkled on the mercy seat in the temple next to Mount Sion in heaven? Jesus the priest sprinkles his own blood on the altar in heaven. Now, I want to make sure I make this point for those of you that maybe don't know this or maybe have forgotten this, but blood was was sprinkled. Hyssop would be dipped in a bowl of blood in the Old Testament and they would sprinkle it on all sorts of different things and the sprinkling of blood was meant to purify that for holiness before God. Why? Because blood has a voice. Now in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the blood of the animals that was shed, that blood cried out. What did it cry? It cried out and said, uh, We are representative of a coming lamb that will die for the sins of the word, world. The voice of that blood of those animals in the Old Testament uh, cried out and said, The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. Jesus' blood didn't cry out, The Messiah is coming. The blood of Jesus cried out and said, I've come, I'm here, and my blood is capable of redeeming you. Now, the blood of Jesus had a voice, and I made this point Sunday night during the Lord's Supper, just like Abel's blood had a voice. Look back at verse 24 and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, we'll look at that phrase here shortly, and to the blood of sprinkling, look here, the blood that speaketh better things than that of Abel. You remember the story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain brings his offering of fruits and vegetables, the works of his hands. Abel brings his offering of faith and obedience, a a lamb uh, there that's laid down just like his parents had taught him to do, just like God had done in the Garden of Eden right before they were kicked out. Here we have the very first works versus faith salvation battle. Abel is is bringing uh, uh, faith and Cain is bringing works. And God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's uh, Cain's offering of works. And you know what? People today are doing the same exact thing. You have the two world religious systems represented right there with the very first two boys. You have a works-based faith and you have a a grace-based faith. Right there between Cain and Abel, and God rejected Cain's offering. Well, what did Cain do? Cain rejected God's uh, 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 God's extended grace and say, "Hey, sin lieth at the door. Go get the lamb. I've sent him right to your house. Sacrifice that animal, and everything will be fine, and you'll be back in good graces and follow the example of Abel, your brother. Is that what Cain did? Nope." Cain found his way to Abel and got into a hot uh, hot argument, a heated argument, and then what? He committed a hot-blooded crime. He murdered Abel, and he struck Abel down, and Abel's blood flowed out of his body and onto the ground. And as you know from the story in Genesis 4, uh, uh, God goes to Cain and says, Where is your brother? And what does Cain say? Am I my brother's keeper? He gets sarcastic with God, snarky with God. And God says back to Cain... The blood of Abel crieth unto me from the ground. What was the voice of Abel's blood crying? It was crying out for vengeance. Revenge me of the blood that was shed. Now look at verse 24 again in our passage. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, into the blood of sprinkling that blood, that blood that speaketh better things than that of Abel's. Abel's blood cries out for vengeance. Jesus' blood cries out for victory. Jesus' blood says, come unto me and I will purify you of your sin. Come unto me and I will re- redeem you. Without shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22, there is no remission. There is no remission. And so we see that the blood that was sprinkled there on the altar of Sinai and sprinkled on the people, boy, it had to be done over and over and over and over again. But the blood of Jesus, guess what? It's sprinkled one time Over my sins in heaven, and my sins are forever forgiven. One time and it's done. Boy, the kingdom of Jesus is far better than the kingdom of Moses. Now look at verse 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. What is that him? That is Jesus and his blood. Don't refuse the voice of... Of the blood that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall uh, not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Hey, look, if if they would, were refusing uh, the blood that was shed there on, on Sinai uh, for the forgiveness of their sins during that time, boy, if you go about and reject the blood of Jesus, you have no chance of being saved. It is the blood of Jesus that makes the difference. So we see here a comparison of Sinai and Sion. The kingdom of of Moses versus the kingdom of Jesus. And we've seen the blood of animals versus the blood of Jesus. Let's, Let's look at the next point here. Law versus grace. Law versus grace. Let me take a pause here for just a moment. Miss Barb, could you slip out and find Miss Bernice and let her know that while I'm preparing for the baptism, I'm going to need someone to play the piano. Could you find her and just let her know that? I would I don't know. Just poke around the building. she she, she's, she may be in the nursery, so. Thank you. All right. Law versus grace. All right. Mount Sinai was the place where the law was given. All right? Mount Sion is the place where grace originated. Let's look at it. Turn back over to Exodus chapter 24 and look at verse number 7. Exodus chapter number 24. There's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to Christian grace. And I hope that uh, the Bible study tonight will really help you. All right, Look at verse number 7. Exodus 24. And he, Moses, took the book of the covenant. notice that word covenant, and read in the audience of the people, and they said, all the Lord hath said, will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, look here, behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord hath made, you, made with you concerning all these words. Now what is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement that two people enter. Alright? Another word for covenant or a, a cousin word to covenant would be the word testament. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Stop and think about how we use that word testament, okay? That word testament, will and testament. Alright? If I go to a lawyer and I put together a will and testament, that is so that when I die, my belongings and, and those valuables that are, are mine uh, can be properly distributed. Notice that a testament is received upon the death of the person who wrote out the testament. You with me so far? And so you have the old covenant Which is the law. God comes down and says, here is the law. I'm going to give you the law and you better abide by the law or else. And then we get a different testament, uh, or a different covenant in the New Testament. All right. Uh, look over at, uh, chapter number 12 in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 and look with me at verse number 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, the new testament, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Look down at verse number 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. There's that word grace. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Let me just take a moment here and talk about law versus grace. Alright? In the Old Testament, they were given the law. And the idea was you need to keep these laws. Here are the moral laws. Now, um, prior to the giving of the Old Testament law, God had written laws on the hearts of man, alright? No one has to come and tell you that murder is a sin, right? We all pretty much know that murder is a sin. And listen, not only murder of humans... I was driving down the road the other day, and I had a squirrel run out in front of my car. And that squirrel did what a lot of squirrels do. It thought about going that way, then it thought about going the other way, and it kind of danced back and forth. And I'm thinking, you know what, I don't have any room to swerve. I'm in a tight space, and I could die if I swerve or, or mess, me, at least mess up my vehicle. And so then I heard a thump, and that poor squirrel died. And you know what? I felt something in my heart feel awful. You know why? I wasn't made to kill things. Now, if you're a hunter and you've killed lots of animals, then I guess you have desensitized yourself, all right? And there's nothing wrong with hunting um, as long as you're doing it to feed folks, all right? But we're not built to kill. You know why? That's a natural law that God wrote on our heart. But the human conscious can be seared. And all of a sudden, the things that God put in our heart to be wrong by the very nature of just being made in the image of God, after generations of our hearts being seared, boy, our standard of morality shifts as the conscience is skewed and perverted. And so God came along with Moses and he gave him the law written on paper or parchment or stone. And that law we find in the Old Testament. Mount Sinai is where the law was given. Now, I want to I want to make a point here that many religions of the world misunderstand what the law is for. Many people believe that the law was given out as though, hey, if I do a better job of keeping it than Reggie, or I do a better job of keeping it than Carlos, or I do a, well, this one goes without saying, but if I do a better job than keeping it than Mike, amen, I love you, Mike. I love to pick on Mike. That's my buddy. Um, Then that means that I'm somehow going to earn God's grace. But watch this now. God did not give us the law so that we could compare ourselves with each other. God gave us the law to show us that we all fall short. Every one of us. Every one of us. You know what the law did? The law... Cried out for a redeemer. The law cries out for a new covenant. It's called the Old Covenant or the Old Testament because there needed to be a new covenant or New Testament to come along and complete what the law just could not do. The law came along and said, You better obey or else. And Grace came along and said, I know that you can't obey. Let me complete what the law can. In fact, Jesus would say in his Sermon on the Mount, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to bridge the gap of what the law couldn't do. I'm not doing away with the law. Instead, I'm fulfilling the law. That's what grace is. Grace is God stepping in and saying, The law shows you how guilty you are. The law shows you how broken you are. The law shows you that you make a failing grade in God's classroom, but grace steps up and makes the difference when we put our faith in it. Turn over with me to Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. Now, a common misperception about grace is that because God is a God of grace, I can do whatever I want. I don't live under the law anymore. You know, in the Old Testament, if you were to backtalk your mom and dad publicly, uh, you could t- be, you could, as a teenager or a young man, young, young girl, you could be taken, uh, before the judges of the city, and if you were found guilty, they could order to have you stoned on the spot. I bet there wasn't a lot of backtalking that went on. Can I tell you something? I probably wouldn't be here if I lived in the Old Testament. Because I back-talked my mom at least once. right. Um, Now in the New Testament, if you back-talk your parents, you don't get stoned. So did God go easy on us? Well, not really. Alright? It's just that things have shifted a little bit. Look at Romans chapter 6 and verse number 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your, your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments ...of righteousness unto God. For sin uh, shall not have dominion over you. Look here. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What is this saying? Uh, This passage here is telling us that because uh, Jesus has died on the cross and shed His blood and sprinkled that on your soul to be purified and cleansed and made free uh, from the contaminant of sin because you have been redeemed. Boy, you're not to live by the flesh anymore. You're to live by grace. You're to look at how good God has been to you, and that is to uh, motivate you. That is to push you to go forward and live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. We don't live under the law anymore. We don't live under this, do what's right or else. We live under the, do what's right because. Do what's right because. It's not do what's right or God's going to bonk you over the top of the head for breaking His law. It's do what's right because Jesus shed His blood on the cross for you and He loves you. That's why Paul would say, the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ keeps me in bounds. The love of Christ keeps me from r- running in the ditch spiritually and falling into sin. I focus on God's grace and I must do what's right. Look at verse 18. Uh, actually, let's see, um, uh, let's back up a little bit here. Look at verse 15. "What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you were under the old law, the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from uh, the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye become the servants of righteousness. You see, when you are a a servant of the law, you are a servant of your sin. But once you've been redeemed and saved, you are a servant of grace, and instead of being a slave to sin, you become a servant to righteousness. Boy, we ought to want to do what's right. You know what the temptation is? The temptation is to say that because I don't live under the immediate consequences of wrongdoing that I can push the limits of God's grace and see how far that will go. And I would just remind you of this sermon Sunday night. I would just remind you of the danger of trampling on God's grace. Boy, you trample on God's grace hard enough, as one of His children, He's going to take you home to heaven. He's going to bring your life to a quick end. Don't do that. Don't take advantage of of the fact that God is a little bit more lenient toward us on earth in the New Testament than He was in the Old Testament. Uh, By the way, now I want to say this before we wrap it up this evening, uh, and that's this, that the grace, and I'd recommend you write this down somewhere on your, your bulletin there. Grace requests a much higher standard than the law requires. And I'm going to give you some evidences of this in a moment. Grace requests... A much higher standard than the law requires. The quote's on the screen. You can write that down. Let me uh, let me let me let me give you some examples. All right. Example one. Moses said, "Thou shalt not kill." All right. So what is the what is the law's requirement? The law's requirement is that I not murder anyone. What is grace's uh standard? What is the grace that uh, uh what is the standard that grace requests? Jesus or rather James would tell us that if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. You see how that the 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 standard went from just not taking someone's life to now I can't even hate someone in my heart. Moses said in his law, in his kingdom, Thou shalt not commit adultery. You see what the law required? Boy, in the Old Testament law, you had a really good-looking woman uh, who was your neighbor and married to your neighbor. And boy, she'd walk up and down the the road, go in and out of her tent or her home, and you look at her and think, Oh my goodness, she is drop-dead gorgeous. But as long as you never slept with her, you weren't violating the law. However, we move into grace where we've been saved. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 28, If you even look upon a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery with her already in your heart. You see how grace raises the standard? You see how grace raises the standard? I hear many Christians say, oh man, those preachers that just preach the Bible, it's rolls, 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 rolls. Oh, he's just shoving the rolls of the Bible in my face. Doesn't he know we live under grace? And I would say grace has brought the standard up, not brought it down. Boy, we're to be more pure in our living, not less pure. We're to be less like the world because of God's grace, not more like it. We're not to skate up close to the line and see how close we can get. By the way, there's a great visual here back in Exodus chapter 19. You remember that, um, and I'll finish with this illustration, we've got to get this baptism in, amen. You remember that mount they were told not to touch? The rule was, don't touch the mount. You know what Moses did? He went outside the mount and he put a fence a long ways away from the mount to keep the people from even getting close. Grace puts the fence a long ways around adultery and says, don't even look. Grace puts the fence a long ways away from murder and says, don't even hate. You see that? You see that grace raises the standard. And so we see that God's kingdom or Jesus' kingdom is superior to Moses' kingdom. Are you all beginning to understand Hebrews twelve eighteen through 29 a little bit better? I hope. I trust. Amen. We're going to finish looking at this passage next week. Let's have a word of prayer. And uh, uh, Brother Richie, if you just go ahead and slip on back and begin to get ready. Uh, for me now while i'm praying that'd be great and he's going to get ready and i'm going to get ready and we're going to see him get baptized and we're going to conclude the service and miss uh, bernice while we're getting ready if you would just play and you all can sit there in your pew uh, while she plays um and uh, we'll we'll expedite it as quick as we can lord thank you tonight for the bible study lord my prayer is that i have not made this passage more confusing but lord maybe more understandable and lord that you'd help us not to abuse your grace not to take advantage of it. Help us to understand that these verses are in context of your punishment and that, Lord, you even punish in a gracious way. But your goal is for us to love you and to walk with you and to be more like you. And so, uh, Lord, help us to decide this week to go forward and appreciate your love for us. And may that constrain us to do what's right. Thank you for Richie and his decision to get baptized. We're so excited for him.